just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Utah mom Ruby Frank was supposed to appear in court yesterday to determine if she and her business partner, Jody Hildebrand, will be let out on bail. The two women are charged with aggravated child abuse, and now the court says there is just too much new info to sort through before they can make a determination on bail. Nothing about this case feels good. Nothing. But what I want to know is, what can we learn from it? It's Tuesday, September 19th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Meg Walter, you are a features writer at the Deseret News, and you recently wrote this piece called Ruby Frank and the Dangers of Sharenting. Sharenting is the act of oversharing about your children online. So for the uninitiated here, what is the story of Ruby Frank's arrest? So Ruby Frank was a vlogger. She and her husband in 2015 launched a YouTube channel wherein they documented them raising their six children, eight passengers, and they were always strict. Um, I never followed them, but I knew who they were. And in the last few years, I remember like people would send each other like clips of things she had said on this channel and things she had done to her children. We're like, I don't know about this, you know? Hmm. And then August 30th, news broke that she and her business partner, she had recently pivoted to run a life coaching service called Connections with a woman named Jody. They had both been arrested after one of Ruby's children, her son, had climbed out of a window to a neighbor's home begging for food and water with open lacerations on his wrists. Horrific, horrific stuff. Yeah. Where in Utah are they from? So Frank is from Springville. She was in Ivins at the time, um, and her kids were with her in Ivins because that's where Jody Hildebrandt lives. Okay. So like near St. George. Near St. George, right outside St. George. Yeah. So what kind of parenting, because my understanding of eight passengers is like they were kind of doling out parenting advice. And what kind of parenting advice are we talking about here? I never watched it, I must confess. Because you note in your story that it got more extreme over time. Can you give me an example of like how it got more extreme? And I don't know if it started out extreme. I do know that I started hearing about how extreme it was in the last few years, which makes me think it got gradually more extreme. Um, like, and I don't know that it was advice so much as her trying to teach by example, but Mm. she was in the car once and she got a phone call from her daughter's teacher, her daughter who was six years old. And the teacher told her, Hey Eve, I think her name was Eve. Eve doesn't have a lunch. Can you please bring her lunch at school? And she told the teacher it is Eve's responsibility to make her lunch. She's going to have to go hungry today. Please don't give her any food. 
Um, you know, and then expanded on how she was teaching her kids to be responsible and so on and so forth. She canceled Christmas for two of her younger children one year. She took away her son's bed after he had played a prank on a sibling. He had to sleep on a beanbag for, I think, seven months. What? Okay. Like, a lot of just... any. Yeah, It's kind of stuff you're like, I'm not really sure what to do with this, you know? Right. Like, who do I call? It always gave me the, like... Who, I feel like I should do something, but I don't know what I should do with this. Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of people felt. And so they weren't surprised when ultimately this came to a head. Well, I guess the question for me is like, in the first place, this YouTube series where all this behavior was going on, who is this for? Like this, you called it a draconian parenting style in your article. That sounds about right. Why do you think it garnered such a following in the first place? I think that a lot of parents truly don't know where to start, you know, and have no mm. idea what they're doing and are looking to people who seem to have authority. And I think that it is easy to confuse a large follower count with having uh. authority. And mm. I think that it's such in a crowded attention market, right? Like there's so many content creators out there that you kind of have to become more extreme to stand out. Yeah. Um, so the more extreme they became, the more ironically popular they became, and the more people look to them for how they should parent their own children. I do think that a lot of their followers were like kind of hate followers, keeping an eye on them toward the end. But I think in the middle there, they probably had people who were really looking to her for knowing how to parent their children. Hmm. Yeah, or giving them permission to be bullies. <laughs> yeah, yes, the validation that they were looking for. Yeah. I mean, these women are from Utah. But aside from that, is there anything about this whole news story, which has really captured the imagination of the whole nation, I think, that makes it uniquely Utah or unique to Utah? I think we do have a lot of content creators, right? And we do have yeah. a lot of influencers. And we do have a lot of pretty blonde moms filming their kids and sharing that online. And I don't think that's inherently bad, but I think that it can lead to bad things like it did in this case. Yeah. We also ask a lot of our moms in this state, like... I feel like we just ask a lot of Utah moms and I can see why they would want to turn to the internet for guidance. What do you think we're asking more of our moms than other states do of theirs? I think that from a legal and legislative standpoint, the state mm -hmm. could do a better job supporting new parents. Oh, sure. And like yeah. thinking about <laughs> childcare, right? Just like there's a lot of ways that this state, though it purports to be families first, I think doesn't show up for moms as hard as it could or should. And yet we have a ton of kids and a ton of moms. Mm -hmm. Who could really use support? Like yes. it is a particular kind of isolation that I don't know is present in any other situation in life. Because not only are you alone for a lot of the time, but you're also responsible for keeping another human alive, mm -hmm. disciplined, like all of these different things. And that layers anxiety on top of isolation a lot of the time. And that puts a lot of people in a really desperate situation, I think. 
Yeah. I mean, Eight Passengers is also about a big family, and we have a lot of big families. And that's also sort of unusual when you look at the birth rate trends in the country. And so, like, I think there's also something to be said for just, like, if you Google, like, how to raise a big family, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I could see myself doing that if I had a big family in this state. Well, and that's probably what added to their popularity, too. Like, it's it's a novelty to have six kids. People don't have six kids. And here is this family having six kids. And you might be like, how do they do this? And next thing you know, you're watching a mother tell her six-year-old's teacher not to give her lunch. Yeah, I mean, this story is, like you said, absolutely horrific. But I have to say... One of my favorite things about you as a cultural commentator, Meg, is that I think you often find the lesson in these moments. Mm -hmm. And so I want to ask you, like, what are some of the lessons you think to be learned here? I think that there are two for me, Meg Walter, a person like I don't want to be prescriptive in any way. And those two lessons for me are what you're seeing on the internet is very rarely the truth. I think with Ruby Frank, we saw a woman who was pretty confident in herself and seemed to know what she was doing, but I think was very much spiraling behind the scenes. Um, And obviously things were much worse behind the camera than what we actually saw. And what we saw was pretty bad. I think that we have a tendency to look to influencers and content creators and compare ourselves to them and look for validation in them. And every time I've done that, it has proven to be unwise. (laughs) And this really reinforces that. And the second lesson for me is just kids have a right to privacy. And again, because moms are often isolated and overwhelmed and want a community, they will turn to the internet to find that. Because we, I mean, I think I feel that society has become increasingly isolated, right? And it's harder to like have people at arm's length physically, um, but we can find those people online. And so the temptation is to put everything about parenting online, but that robs children of the ability to tell their own story. And define their own identity and have their own narrative. And I think, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know when all of this happened about a decade ago when we all got Instagram and all started making YouTube channels. But I think we've had a decade of a reflection where we can be like, maybe not everything about my kid's life should be online for a whole bunch of reasons. But what I've been thinking most about is their privacy and their ability to tell their own story. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com 
or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. I mean, I'm a millennial. I feel like I was squarely raised in sort of the internet's come up. Like, if I were to name for you the top five most kind of like iconic circulating internet videos, they would almost all be of someone's kid. From like Charlie bit my finger finger, to listen, Linda, to, you know what I mean? Like it's all parents just like filming all the time and then getting that one incredible moment. Like, I mean, even going beyond the internet to kids say the darndest things like, oh my God, horrifying to think that me trying to be cutesy at age six would be like forever. (laughs) would be on TVs across the nation like it feels very analogous to me to like child stars that were being kind of owned by me like Shirley Temple like major studios making money off of child stars yeah so that was one of the interesting things when I was researching this story is there is I think it's called the Coogan law that Mm -hmm. was passed so that child stars their parents are required to set aside a portion of their income uh, because a lot of these parents of child stars would just spend all the money that their kids were laboring to make. But there's nothing like that for kids of influencers. There's nothing about like, what if the kid doesn't want to be in videos at all, you know? And that's a very real possibility. They don't want to. But if you've built your whole livelihood on being about your family and filming that, like, your kids don't have a choice, right? We've set up this weird business and system that's I believe not very good for the kids who are involved. Yeah. I mean, one of the most like gut-wrenching points in your story is when you talk about how Ruby Frank's oldest child, her oldest daughter, the day that she was arrested, that Ruby was arrested, posted on her Instagram story a photo of officers outside of the home and wrote, finally. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because it's like, okay, well, this child has an Instagram story. So like they too are accessing the internet, but they just, their voice clearly wasn't being amplified or believed if they had discussed this abuse previously. Yeah. And I had someone, I mean, people are mad about stuff I write all the time, but someone Mm. um, said, you know, don't conflate the two. Don't Mm. conflate influencing with child abuse. And that's not what I intended to do. What I intended to say was like, 
you're walking on thin ice when you start to make your family your business. And there are a lot of ways that can go. Sometimes it's fine. Sometimes it's great. Some kids might love it, you know, think it's super cool that they're a star on the internet. But a lot of times, like you said, the kids who really need a voice don't get a voice because they're being eclipsed by their parents who have turned them into essentially like a cartoon character, right? And that can be very dangerous and like in the worst case can lead to something like this. Yeah. How do we differentiate online between sort of online parenting inspiration and the fraudulence? I mean, it seems like in the case of Ruby Frank, it seems pretty obvious watching these videos that this was like you said, a draconian parenting style. It's not like, it wasn't hidden. It feels like in a lot of ways it was like part of the production. But there are a lot of influencers doling out all kinds of advice. I mean, gosh, look at the pandemic, I think, as an example of that, of like how we should be responding to science. How do you navigate? So I crowdsourced that question to a few friends, you know, and I was like, tell me... Who do you follow and why when it comes to parenting and those kinds of influencers? And the overwhelming response is that if someone is monetizing their kids, I won't follow them. Um, If they're using their kids to sell product, they've lost my trust. And I think I agree with that. And I know that's not fair to everyone who is an influencer. And I know it's capitalism and we're all just trying our best out here. Yeah. Um, but that that does kind of set off an alarm for me. Um, I don't follow a lot of influence. You know, like I feel like yeah. we had a peak in like 2015 and suddenly people have been like, I don't know if I should be listening to this person I've never met who sure has 100,000 followers and is beautiful, but like, do I need to listen to her about what she thinks of the COVID-19 vaccine? I'm not sure that I do. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I mean, I too have kind of moved away from the influencery phenomenon, if only because I, I feel like, honestly, Meg, like, I don't have the attention span for yeah. influencers, in large part because I feel like part of the way that you become really successful influencing online is by having sort of like a pretty singular shtick, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm the guy that like works out or like I'm the girl that drinks iced coffees and the content just becomes really repetitive and that is kind of a prerequisite to having a beautiful page is that it's like really consistent and branded but for me as a consumer I'm like three or four posts in I'm like I'm over it I get it fine you know to bring it back to Ruby Frank like I think that you know you're right. You do need a stick. You need your thing to stand out. And her thing was, I'm kind of a jerk to my kids, you know? And that thing, like, she became more and more and more of a jerk to her kids because that's how she was getting attention. And, And then it just spiraled, I think. Like, I think that she wasn't great to begin with. And then she got all this attention for the way she was not being great and got worse. And now we're here, which is so sad. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, to undermine my own point, I do think one of the things that keeps us coming back to these influencers or these sort of self-proclaimed like online village leaders is that it is natural to constantly seek whether or not it's validation or affirmation, advice when you are going through a major life transition, right? Like having oh, a child sure. is like the greatest hormonal 
shift that could ever happen in your body and your life. It radically and dramatically changes your life. And to your point, all of a sudden you are responsible for a another being. And friends in my life, when they get pregnant or like are even thinking about pregnancy, like one of the biggest questions I think people have to sort through is like, when do you trust your gut and not seek further advice? And when do you like get into it, right? And like, how many blogs are too many blogs? How many parenting books is too many parenting books? Like, yeah. are there takeaways from this, as you've named it, sharenting phenomenon <laughs> that could help us regulate our instincts to constantly seek further advice? I can speak again for Meg Walter, mm -hmm. the human and the mom, and I don't want to be prescriptive. I'm rolling three kids deep and I know that with the first one, I was like reading everything I could get my hands on and following all these different accounts and looking to everyone else for advice. And I was a nervous wreck all the time and everyone said things differently. Uh, yeah. You know, everyone's advice was different and everyone's parenting method was different. And then I got to know my kids. Like, I know that sounds weird, but a baby grows up and becomes like a person. Yeah. And you're like, oh, the person who knows this kid best is me. Like, because part, <laughs> partly because they're a lot like me, you know, and yeah. I know how I should be parent because I'm me. And so I can use that to parent them. And like, maybe the best person to know what to do for them is me, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is like kind of more confidence than I typically have in myself. But <laughs> also there was like nothing better out there. So I was like, I guess this is it. You know, I guess it's me and I'm probably the most qualified and yeah. I will ask the experts when that's necessary. But I found it to be far better than looking for literally everywhere else for validation. Yeah. Meg Walter, Futures Writer at the Deseret News. Mom, Yutan, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.